You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. This week, we're going to be speaking with Andrew Turner, who is a choreographer and dancer here in Montreal. Uh, Andrew Turner started uh, studying dance halfway through uh, history and philosophy studies. He inexplicably, in his own words, got accepted into the Concordia Dance Department and uh, has completed his degree there. Uh, he's choreographed for Tangente a few times already with a duet for One Plus Digressions in 2008. And now I got worry in 2010. And uh, this time we're going to be talking about a work uh, that's coming up at Tangente called A Standard of Measure. And uh, in between these presentations at Tangente, uh, you've also um, performed for O Vertigo as a dancer. You've uh, done a commission for the Ottawa Dance Directive and uh, generally been active. Uh, this this production is going to be a quartet uh, with yourself performing along with Caroline Gravel, Simon-Xavier Lefebvre, and Jessica Serli. Uh, so Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Maybe we can start with, uh, with the themes of this work. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, there was the Cabaret Gravel not too long ago mm. where you presented uh, an excerpt that ended up, or a starting point for this, for right. this concept. And uh, it, it was about the kilogram and how it's one of the only forms of measurement that isn't based on laws of, of physics and science. It's actually just kind of made up. Just an object, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the kilogram itself, like way back when it was, um, I think it was first formulated in the 18th century. Like it was the, f the first time that they actually, like before that there was a pound, there were all these different sort of arbitrary units of measurement. And the, the kilogram itself was the first time that they tried to sort of relate, uh, mass to, to, uh, volume. So it was, it was thought of as like the, the mass of like i think a hundred centiliters of water they 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 came up with a kilogram and and so this sort of like everything's based on like a hundred uh, units of something else and etc cetera, etc cetera. but the thing is that so it's this like kind of cylinder uh that exists in an underground vault in france um and it's it's just an object that, and because it's an object, objects all like things change because they, they exist in the like natural world. So they just, things are always shifting. And so the, that kilogram prototype was built like a little over a hundred years ago. They weighed it about 30 years ago and they found out that it had lost 50 micrograms or so. Um, so yeah, my this this sort of like set off a, a huge um, uh, inquiry for me on on just like what is what is constancy, what is change, why are things always changing, why are we as humans uh, so attached to 
creating stable identities for things when that's really not actually an available thing? Why do we think of ourselves as stable identities, even though we're always changing from day to day? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what started it off. And so your presentation then was that an exploration because you were alone on stage just in, in how mm. you were dealing with those uh, ideas. And then did you bring that later to, to your other dancers? Um, no, we, we had actually been working on, uh, on the quartet itself for, for, uh, well, a number of weeks. And then we've, we've been in research for like a, a couple of years now. Um, and I guess the, the, what I presented at, at, um, the cabaret was like just, uh, sort of a condensé or like, a yeah, it was like the most direct sort of iteration of the idea. Uh, whereas we'd been working in all these sort of abstract ways in the studio, I was like, okay, what is this thing about? How can I, how can I create a clear line? Uh, uh, and it's sort of like, I was trying to articulate the ideas for myself. And so it, it came out in a text and yeah, something. it's basically a PowerPoint presentation Yeah, and you're, and you're what you've, you're describing what you've just said to us. Mm. Uh, and while your body's kind of pulling you away from the microphone every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the espresso version. <laughs> so yeah. what does research in this realm look like when you're talking about change and weight? Yeah. Well, I, I became a lot sort of interested in how, okay, if, if we think of ourselves as sort of stable individual as, as individuals, I think of myself as a person, um, and how I'm sort of constantly producing that identity all the time. I'm like sort of reinforcing the fact that I'm Andrew through repetition and performing myself in a certain way. Um, I, th I started thinking about how that <clears throat> sort of how the production of an identity uh, sort of also at the same time is the like it's an act of, of repressing all sorts of other things that I'd like to be doing or sort of little micro desires that exist in my body all the time like I could you know my shoulder would love to be shaking right now but I, I, I don't because I'm talking to you guys and that's just not what you do uh, so I, I started thinking about all these sort of underlying, um, impulses and micro desires and micro narratives that exist in the body that are just like sort of percolating under the surface. And the minute you kind of let them go, like they just go like the minute you, you, uh, the minute you stop deciding that you want to sit still, you'll like, you'll kind of start vibrating I, I mean kids do it all the time so yeah I started thinking about just ways of uh art articulating or or exploring different um we started like looking is a lot of Meg Stewart stuff you know like looking at movement parasites like a, a your body is a host like a a movement impulse that enters your body so just changing around the the sort of sense of agency so that the agency of the movement so that it becomes less from the top down and more about, uh, different, uh, about things emerging, uh, from a bit all over the place. This sort of polyvocity of, or polyvocality of the body. Yeah. It's more about impulses. Yeah. Impulses and how they, 
how they play off of each other, how they, uh, how they way, move it's, with it's each other. It's not so much about the impulses in a way. I feel it's more about not res- like learning to not restrain those impulses. Mm. Could that be a bit sort of the line of thinking? In a, in a, yeah, in a certain sense, except it, then it becomes weird because like as soon as you get into the studio, then that's the thing that you're trying to do and that's what the choreographer is asking you to do. So then it, it loses its authenticity, <laughs> I would guess. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it be, yeah. It's like, how do you recreate that? Uh, Through your research, did you look at all at uh, Mouvement Authentique or those kinds of lines of thinking? Authentic movement? In this particular project, uh, no, we didn't. We did sort of like other sort of long form exercises, but I, I uh, but nothing formalized like why Mouvement Authentique. We'd, you know, like we'd shake for a while, for a long time or sort of breathing exercises and, and stuff like that. But where um like when it comes to sourcing uh this this project, this re- research, what kind of influences did you use that are more dance based? Like were there types of techniques or approaches? You mentioned Mike Stewart as as a as a point of reference a bit for, for this research. Was there anything else that people could recognize as having used uh, being used during the process? Mm. Uh, t- taking little bits fr- from like workshops I've taken with Benoit Lacham or uh, I don't know, like we, I was also working with Thea Patterson as a dramaturge and with Jamie Wright, who uh, came in towards the more, the later half of the, uh, of the process. And I don't know. Yeah. I, that's, that's not so much influences, but, But people who participated in the discourse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just want to make sure I credit those two people. Okay, of course, uh, we should talk about the humor in your work as well. Mm. And something that, uh, again, going back to this, this, this brief example of what happened at Cabaret Gravel. Uh, so you give us this, this explanation of this scientific fact, and then you, you uh, devolve into a conversation about, uh, about blacking out and getting drunk. Right. And it's, it's kind of this... Um, equalizer a little bit for for you as as a presenter and then you as 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 a person um and and i i understand that that happens a lot in in your work to kind of like you you balance out mm. a bit the intellectual and the and the accessibility mm. is that uh that's correct yeah that's a definite that's a definite uh thing that i like to do It's yeah. It's it's funny for this for this particular project. Like I'm I'm sort of watching the humor emerge. Like I I think I I almost came into the project like wanting it to be funny because the my last work had been funny and I was like I'm gonna this you know and it's it's funny you can't you really can't um, force it and uh, halfway through the process it's like wow this is a really serious piece like there's no there's no there's no funny bits emerging and it's just now in the last like week or so that things are starting to like loosen up and um and 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 yeah the humor's starting to emerge um i think it's uh, yeah it's it's always been just something that i i i like to make people laugh I think it's 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 not. I always enjoy laughing in a at a dance show. I remember that being like one of one of the first during one of the first dance shows that I went to. Like just 
that realization that I was allowed to laugh uh, was so, I don't know, it made a really big impact on me. And I think dance particularly, because it works on so many different levels often at the same time like it can when something's funny in a dance show it 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 can be really funny like deeply deeply funny because you're you're hitting all these different registers um not that i'm saying that my work necessarily does that but there is a capacity for this and dance. yeah 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 which i find really fascinating um just the sort of like interface between body mind whatever intellect like yeah yeah it's interesting though when we talk about humor and dance and i mean we could do a whole episode just about that but one thing that i find nowadays especially in montreal scene mm. uh is that there is this desired effect uh when it comes to humor that people want it to be funny people care about it being funny right and quite often it becomes central to the idea right uh, i mean you you look at things like short and sweet and quite often How do you become memorable in three minutes? You make it funny. You mm -hmm. make people laugh. Uh, but so much so that, and, and humor is a, is a very thin line to, to walk on, but you can't force it. You mm. can never force it to be mm. funny. Because if you do, it becomes... Plaqué. Plaqué, I just don't know how to say that in English. <laughs> but it becomes tacked on, basically. Yeah. And with humor, I find that you can't, You can't do that because it loses all of its authenticity. It loses it loses its in the moment yeah. uh, approach to humor, which is that's where it hits the right note. I find when it really feels like this is the moment where, like, it's that's why you call it comedic timing, right? Mm. It's right in the good moment for it. Using humor like that, do you feel that this was a trap that you became conscious you had to avoid, not to go into this? Um, You know, because you mentioned yourself that you had this desire to make it funny. Mm -hmm. Did you consciously decided, you know what, no, I, I need to not fall in this trap? Or do you just feel that eventually it diverged away from humor and then it came back towards it? I mean, I think I, I'm sort of in agreement with you. Like, uh, things need to emerge naturally for, from the process. And and it, there's no point in enforcing something, whether it be a, a joke or, you know, like a love duet or whatever. Like, if it's not... If it doesn't emerge naturally from the process, then it, it doesn't have its place there. And I think, he, like, that's my job as a choreographer is to, is to sense that. The dancers will sense it if something's natural or not, and so will the public. So I, I think I think there's it's yeah it's very important to to uh, I don't know to listen listen to the work itself uh, and to not go in with a with a with an agenda because the work is going to the work is going to tell you what what's what it is uh like what's necessary what's not that that's another sort of theme in in the piece too like is is this sort of interface between like artist and and work and how i became sort of interested in the the agency of of the of the of the work itself of the material how it how it sort of starts to form as as you're uh as you go along and as it becomes more complex it starts to uh starts to have desires and uh at a certain point you, you're it's it's you that's responding to the desires of the piece and it's no longer you you in the driver's seat it's like it's the thing itself which is 
telling you to cut out a section or add another section or whatever. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think, I think a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the work itself of, of like creating is, is just sort of honing in on that frequency, like getting, doing whatever work you need to do, whether it's just like sitting on your couch for an hour, like staring off into space, just getting yourself to that frequency where you can sort of talk to the piece and, and allow it to ask questions of you. This notion of, of the artist as creating artifice, because in a way, like you were, uh, when you were talking about this, this weight that was created Because that thing, it's a social construct. Mm. It was created. It was built out of nothing except for understand an understanding of science. Right. But it was still uh, a decision that was made, which is basically the same thing we could say about art in general, mm. about creation. Mm. Was was there for you this relationship of exploring art as as a, a series of decision a decisions, a series of of uh, using the tools, you know, like the, the, this really crafting part of, of dance as a creation was this, was this part of your process at all? Basically, um, you equated uh, sort of the, the creation of a piece to this, this notion of the weight. Right. And uh, this, this object, this value of one kilogram was very much... Uh, a series of decisions made. Mm. Uh, it was not something that purely existed. It was something that yeah. we made happen mm. b using tools, using understandings, right. uh, using experimentation. Do yeah. you feel that this process of, of creating the value of one kilogram is, is similar to the process of creating a piece of art? Yeah, we, we, we looked a lot at that actually. Um, And, uh, I'll, we looked a lot at, at, at sort of trying to find ways of creating like ways of relating in the studio ourselves, me to the dancers and the dancers among themselves in ways that were sort of, uh, were resonant with, with this sort of theme of, of instability, um, There's, there's, there's sort of a real interplay between, yeah, between, um, sort of the arbitrary decisions that I make on, on my part, uh, which is this kind of decision tree, like narrowing down and leading to eventually the piece. And then the understandings that each of the dancers have, um, and the sort of interplay between all the different understandings so that the, the, the piece is sort of something that exists be in the sort of spaces between the dancer's body and in between my body. It doesn't exist in either, in any of our bodies. It's not, but it's something that, that sort of like, it's like this weird cloud or web that is like tenuously held by our, our bodies. Um, So yeah, then it, it it became a lot, and this was like Thea was helping me out. Uh, Thea Patterson, my dramaturge, was helping me out a lot with this, and Jamie Wright as well. Like, just sort of keeping the the right amount of sort of liberty for them, um, versus 
things that need to happen, I guess. So there need to, there needed to be this sort of this uh, vague uncertainty, like a, a, yeah, uncertainty in the piece, which was very frightening to me. Like especially, God, I'm I have no train of thought here. Um, well, it's kind of symbolic of, of what you're talking about. I know it works perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, yeah, there were, there were, there needs, there needed to be this sort of like vague uncertainty, uh, which, which would help the piece sort of exist. But then at the same time, there's, there's the desire to, I have a very big desire to like create work that public, uh, not, not, you know, quote unquote accessible work, but I, I, I do have a big, uh, a big um, concern for how how my public will receive the work. So I I'm always looking for ways to go away the fuck out somewhere, and then how to bring it back so that it's it's intelligible. So you, see, you really see yourself as a communicator through dance. Yeah, yeah, very much. It's interesting because as you were talking about it, um, this idea came to me of of the process of of reading a piece by an audience and the process of creating are sort of diametrically opposite. Hmm. So you you use the the image of the tree, um, whereas the the creator is gonna have is gonna start at the the, the tip of the branches right. is gonna have just this open field of potential hmm. and is gonna start making decisions that's gonna narrow it down to the root. Yeah. For the audience, they start with one very simple idea. One very simple notion, which is what they've read in the program, what they see first on stage. Right. And as they see the work, it's going to open up into so many different possibilities of reading. Mm. So in a way, it's really like two different directions uh, superposed onto one another. Mm. And as a communicator, as someone who wants his message to be read or understood, does that make you crazy? The idea of that, that the audience might just not... <laughs> get exactly what you're trying to say does mm. like does it bother you or how do you deal with the fact especially with you know postmodernism, which is basically saying there's no correct way to interpret a meaning mm. how do you deal with that as an artist as someone who wants to communicate yeah well i think i think that's where that's where the text came in in the first in the first place it came out of a frustration with uh with the medium <laughs> uh with not being able to get my point across just through these <laughs> through moving my body around um and i think that that was the original sort of motor was to lock things down and and to get like and that was very much you see in my in my first pieces like it was there was very much this concern for delivering exactly this is what you're seeing. This is what this means. <laughs> like, yeah, it's sort of done in this sort of funny way. But, but I, I think I like, as I get sort of more mature or whatever, as an artist, I'm realizing that there's this interesting interplay now between what can get locked down and what can't. And those two sort of tram, those two, uh, what would that be? T tracks, those, whatever. <laughs> Uh, can play off of each other in, in weird ways and 
sort of narrative logic of, of talking the like linear, uh, logic of, of words on a page as opposed to this like sort of amorphous, uh, polyrhythmic, um, uh, logic that happens in the body, uh, becomes really, there, there are interesting things that happen there. In a way, uh, When we talk about dance, uh, we had Margie Gillis the other week on, yeah. on the show with us. And one of the things that, she's not the first artist to say that, but she says it in a very beautiful way, I find, is that dance and poetry have something so akin to each other, so much more, um, that, that, that fuses them so much more than something like theater, literature, mm. even painting to some extent are going to have together. And it's that it can be understood on so many levels in so many different ways. And that the way she was saying it is basically it makes them uh, as, as superior art forms to some extent, not so much like, you know, to dismiss everything else, but mm. it just gives such an open meaning to everything that is being created. Do you feel that there is a way for dance to be a clear communicator Like you've mentioned using words, but do you feel that just through the body, it is a precise enough tool to really communicate something without having to use words, without having to use theatricality or uh, props or anything like that? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the body is a, is a, like, is a communicator with immense precision. Um, it's just that the things that you're communicating are, are not are not the same as, as what happens in, uh, in words. It's a, an incredible communicator, uh, which can, uh, something that, that can really hit several layers of understanding at the same time. And it can, it can resonate on, uh, uh, different frequencies, just a body on stage, just itself. There's so much information there that we as humans react to um it's an empathetic process to watching dance yeah 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 exactly that's it because it, it's not just that the body that's giving is is communicating many different things it's also yeah that the that the watcher is receiving on so many different levels so i think it, yeah it's it's just just an amazing <laughs> art form <laughs> I, I based on this i'd like to go back to uh your first professional quote-unquote piece that you presented so the first one that was in a professional context mm. which was a duet for one yeah um in which you removed a body like there was a presence of a body on stage well there was the present presence of two bodies but one of them was removed from mm. the space yeah so it was still there but mostly through the words Of, yeah. of the discourse being presented. Um, and this is something that I find says a lot, uh, this idea of removal of, of uh, an emptiness that is still being felt. Mm. Could you tell us a bit about that piece and how, how you came to that, that idea or this, uh, this concept of, of removing a physical body without removing its essence or its presence from the stage? So it's a, a piece... The, the the original sort of uh, 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 motivator for that for that piece was very um, 
prosaic. Like it just, it just happened. There was, it was while I was at school that I, I had a duet that I was like supposed to do. And the girl that, <laughs> that I was, uh, performing with couldn't be there. And so I like, I just did the show without her and explained, explained it to the public. And then it turned out that it really worked. And so there was all these sort of opportunities for, for, uh, for comedy. <laughs> and, um, so I, I developed it sort of that way. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's interesting. All these like you know, like hearing you, hearing you talk about, or talk about absence and removing a body and all these things, all of those things were, were not even like I, they're definitely present in the, in the work. Um, and there are a lot of things that emerged that I'm still sort of understanding from that work, like that I never articulated for myself in a, like in any kind of a intelligent way. It was just, but I still like, I think that I, looking back on it, I, I, I'm like, wow, yeah, I really did exploit these ideas in a good and intelligent way, but there was no, yeah, I didn't There was no premeditation in, in a way. It was born of an, uh, of an accident. Yeah, it was born of an accident. I didn't have any of the theory yet to like back it up. I was, I was just kind of like flying blind, but, um, Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's definitely a work that explores loneliness, explores um, uh, missed connections. Uh, yeah, and that explores sort of like um, uh, sort of resiliency in the face of of uh, solitude. And now for this new work, uh, Standard of Measure, which is being presented at Tangent this week, there's not that aspect of solitude. There's there's four different performers on stage, yourself included. Mm. Um, how did the human relationships evolve in your work since, since that first piece? Because now you moved away from one and a half in some way to... Uh, to four people on stage. Uh, the, your previous work before this, uh, now I got where you also had multiple performers mm. on stage. Is was it out of a need for less misconnections and more active human connections on stage? What exactly made you decide to go uh, towards creating pieces for four people? I think that the previous work was four people too. For three. For yeah. three. Yeah. So like, you know, your number keeps growing. Yeah, every year. <laughs> Why do you need more people on stage nowadays? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I'm just, uh, I'm attracted to, to certain people that I want to work with. That's, that's usually the, the main, uh, the main motor is, is just seeing somebody that I, who I love to see perform, who I, who I would like to, yeah, somebody who would like to get into the studio with. It's more that than necessarily the, the idea of creating a quartet or, you know, like creating this or that work. It's more about seeing what these three, you know, what these three people would look like in the studio or what, what they would get up to in the studio together. And it's, it's really quite, 
fascinating. Um, yeah, especially like this this group of performers, is these uh, three incredible performers, Simon, Jess, and Carol, who are just hilarious, all three of them, and very intelligent and just brilliant movers. And like, there's, I become very interested in the different kinds of uh, sort of alchemy, the different dynamics that happen, you know, like somebody's in a really bad mood that day or somebody, you know, like we, uh, just how work gets made, like through, like through the, 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 the uh, generative um, interactions between people and myself. Yeah. Just slightly off topic, but I was curious about uh, all this this dancing that you've done. You've interpreted for a lot of, of choreographers, including for O Vertigo, mm. um, and the aesthetics are very different than your own. And I'm curious how that changes your relationship to dance when you're in those scenarios. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely look at I definitely look at the two activities as very very separate. Like I, as a choreographer, I, you know, I like I like to get into things. I like to think a lot, et cetera, et cetera. But I, like I really love I like I love to move. My body my body is, is like just enjoys moving around. So um, I'll, I'll take it anywhere I can get it, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I'm when I'm dancing for others, it's it's really just more about that. It's about serving their work, serving their vision, and um, and looking the best that I can. <laughs> that was a joke. We're gonna leave it in. <laughs> Shit, you're gonna leave it in. I mean, definitely, you get uh, influenced and affected by everything that you that you get involved in. And tagging onto that. Um your commission for the Ottawa Dance Directive, hmm. uh, did that come with different parameters than you would give yourself? Oh, not at all. No, it was really, I mean, I, that was just sort of, I think of that as a lucky time <laughs> for me. I got to work with these four, the four incredible dancers of that company. It was, it was sort of a, a, um, a short creation process. I guess we had six weeks or so, but um, just king conditions. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they were uh, Yvonne Coutts, the, the the artistic director. Just she she gave me carte blanche. She's just like do do what you want to do with these guys, and and uh, dancers were like they've got chops, uh, and. Again, super intelligent people. Dancers are just generally intelligent people, I find. <laughs> and it's always a privilege to work with whoever. Yeah. How is this process, though, not working with your buddies, not working with people that you know and love already, but having to learn to love them through this process? Ah, that's a, that is a good question. Yeah, you know... That's it. Is is you you come into the studio and and you're meeting some of the dancers for the first time. Others, you, you know, you might know them, but you 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 barely know them. Or, um, and yeah, there's this sort of a, an alchemy that has has to happen quite quick. You got to just like uh, 
jump in there and and get to know them and i think i think there's something very interesting about that like just getting to know people in the studio like just through the the sort of dialogues that happen there the the laughs that emerge you know in that context i mean you you just you end up with different kinds of work in that in that uh in that context it's not a limitation it just it leads to different sort of frequencies of of work which is always fun do you feel that it took you on a different path than uh than you would have gone if it was a work with people you knew right. do you feel that it 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 took you in a new direction that you might not have gone into if it wasn't for the fact that you were working with strangers at that point right yeah no i mean it definitely it it took on it was it was a much more of a like straight physical piece i guess that one than uh uh than a more sort of uh dialogue-y kind of a piece and yeah you, you just kind of work with what's what's in front of you and i had these like four dancers who could like rip shit up you know and what could take it um am i allowed to swear on it will you yeah, oh please okay. uh <laughs> and yeah like four dancers who could really dish it out so it's like well let's you know let's let's do that fuck it let's just make that move fuck it let's just make a move yeah because it's like and they were hungry for it you know so yeah you kind of go with what with what's in front of you also the the the, con the constricted time frame i guess we had two two weeks of research like one year and then four weeks to create the piece and uh that's it you just you just make choices differently and you you go working fast will will also lead to different choices which which can be can be super exciting too you're less you have less time to second guess yourself and you kind of go more automatically and a lot of interesting things emerge yeah when you when you're working more automatically or quickly yeah before we go uh I just want to remind everyone that uh, the piece is called A Standard of Measure, Except Not Really. It's choreographed by Andrew Turner, who's with us right now. If you've been following, I hope so. Um, it will be presented at the Studio de Roi-Québec at the Monument National on uh, Thursday, May 7th, Friday, May 8th, Saturday, May 9th at 7.30 p.m. and on Sunday, May 10th at 4 p.m. Uh, before we go, Andrew, what's next for you? Uh, I know that at the moment you're doing your master's degree at Huquam in, mm -hmm. in dance. Yeah. What else can we look forward to uh, of yours? Nothing else. I'm quitting. I quit. <laughs> we have a scoop on Dirty Feet right now. Andrew <laughs> Turner is quitting dance after this piece, so yeah. you better go see it right now. That's it. Sunday after Sunday, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> All right. Well, to everyone who listened to us, thank you so much and peace out. Peace out, everybody. <laughs> the No More Radio Network is an official media partner with the St. Amboise Montreal Fringe Festival. That means Dirty Feet will be bringing you plenty of coverage of the dance at the festival, as per usual. It's coming up this June from the 1st to the 21st. 
we're going to be recording a couple episodes that is going to be covering uh, people doing dance shows and other movement-related styles. In the past, we've talked to people who are pr- putting on physical theater shows, circus shows, burlesque performances, etc., all as part of the, the Fringe Festival here in Montreal. So stay tuned and uh, keep an eye out. The programming will be released this week. Dirty Feet was previously recorded at the Montreal Improv Theatre and is currently recorded out of Mainline Theatre. Thanks, dudes. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.